Hello everyone, I am Aditya Vidhate, 2014 B5A70775H, a member of the alumni engagement team at BITSA and also your host for this podcast. This podcast is a part of the COVID talk series. This series addresses the current pandemic all of us are living or must I say surviving through by getting under the spotlight some amazing BITSians doing some amazing work to help humanity make it through. One such amazing Bitsian I am e-sitting with for this podcast is Vibhav Joshi, a 2015 graduate from Bitcoa, dual major in Tripoli and Bio. He founded the healthcare tech company Satwa MedTech with his batchmate Sumed Kaulgud. They received their seed funding from Bit75 Charitable Trust. In 2019, their startup merged with Inaxel and Koyo Labs to form Inaxel Technologies where Vibhav is currently the co-founder and director. Inaxel is India's leading medical device startup with six products across domains like critical care or as we commonly understand ICU, child and maternal healthcare and ENT surgery and they have raised a total of 4 million US dollars in equity and grant funding. Three of their products are deployed to directly fight on the front lines of COVID-19 by helping save lives and reducing infections. Um, so Vibhav, I have this curious question. Right? What exactly does Inaxel do and what is the purpose and vision of the company? Uh, hi Aditya and hello everyone. Uh, I would like to thank you all for inviting me to the podcast. So Inaxel started off as a company to build medical devices for the emerging world because uh, we realized at that point that a lot of devices which are designed for the Western world uh, are one not designed for the kind of skill levels you will find in India and are not designed for the kind of resource constraints you would have in healthcare settings in India. So India and emerging markets required certain uh, specific design considerations as well as price and uh, training and other considerations. So that was the sort of seed of building medical devices for the emerging world. And you very quickly realized that a lot of advantages you would have when you design for the emerging world actually result in advantages for the developed world as well. So then our vision sort of turned towards building in India for the emerging world and then scaling globally. And we obviously worked across multiple domains. We identified specific problems in uh, ICU care. So for example, we have a product called WAPCare, uh, which is used to support patients who are on the ventilator to remove secretions that pool uh, within their lungs and their uh, endotracheal tube, which can lead to infections and therefore death. So about 30% of ICU deaths are actually caused by a disease called WAP, ventilator acquired pneumonia. So we have a product to uh, clean up that, those secretions and therefore help those patients survive. Then our product, uh, Fetal Light, is a product that is used for fetal monitoring. That is to measure the baby's health during labor. Uh, and it's designed specifically for Indian conditions where you'll have healthcare staff that probably may not be able to uh, identify the fetal heart location or have several other challenges. And we sort of deal with them through design and algorithms and innovation. And our third major product, uh, which is uh, now for... COVID specifically, is called SAS Pro, uh, which is basically a non-invasive ventilation device. So WAPCare uh, is in use in COVID for patients who have gone on ventilators. Fetal Light, because it's very portable and easy to use, 
we are deploying for home monitoring so that moms don't have to visit hospitals and therefore we limit the number of times they interact with potential infection sites and SARS-CoV uh, directly helps uh, patients who are who have COVID uh, with their uh, breathing and support them through the uh, recovery. Ah, that's that's great, Vibhav. Um, so during the current pandemic, I have noticed the lack of ventilators in hospitals being a major concern across countries, not just India, right? Can you briefly tell us what exactly a ventilator is and why are ventilators so important during COVID? Right. Let's first begin a bit with COVID disease management. Right? Because that is the context in which a ventilator suddenly became so important. Right. So COVID basically is a virus that is attacking your upper respiratory system and specifically your lungs. So what it does is it goes, the virus goes and it starts attacking alveoli. Alveoli are like small balloons, a lot of which balloons make up your lung. And these balloons sort of start crumpling or killing themselves and their walls start collapsing. Uh, and that is basically what leads to uh, the acute uh, respiratory distress syndrome, ARDS. Now what is happening is one, your capacity of the lung is reducing. And the surface area that the lung has for oxygen exchange is also reducing. And the main clinical management that's happening today in all hospitals is since we don't have a vaccine which can kill the virus, we are trying to manage the body and its response uh, and give the body enough time so that it can automatically on its own uh, become immune. Right? It can develop immunity. So the way to do this is to keep supporting the lungs up to the point that the body can effectively fight back with the virus. Now, of all the COVID patients, about 20 to 25% patients get uh, to a stage where they need to be hospitalized. And of that group, half of them would probably develop uh, ARDS, acute uh, distress syndrome. And three to four to five percent of those may need to go onto the ventilator depending on how bad the situation gets. So what is a ventilator now? So ventilator is basically a lung support mechanism. So it gives a constant pressure of air and oxygen uh, for you to breathe in. And it also gives a constant sort of reverse pressure to mimic breathing out. So it's basically doing the job of your lungs. It's doing the job of pushing and pulling at air that your lung is supposed to do because your lung is itself not capable of doing. That's at a very sort of meta level what a ventilator does. Now, why are there so few ventilators? Uh, because in a non-pandemic world, you don't need that many ventilators. Not so many patients develop such uh, acute sort of disease state where their lungs stop functioning effectively. Right, so a standard ICU Let's say in Bangalore, you have NH, Narayana Rutalaya. They have a 30-40 bed ICU of which 11 to 12 beds uh, have ventilators. Uh, and NH is a fairly high-end center. So most hospitals will have one or two centers. Uh, tertiary care hospitals will have one or two ventilators because that's the kind of patient volume they see generally. Now, obviously in the pandemic, which is attacking the lungs, the number of patients who require ventilators obviously suddenly uh, jumped up and we are not prepared uh, for that kind of uh, eventuality. Yeah, that's a, that makes complete sense. 
thanks for that simple explanation you really cleared out a lot of things so the follow up question to this right why are there so few ventilators i mean i think that your your previous answer sort of explains it because you're saying you know hardly many patients require uh, the you know use of a ventilator at any point in an ideal world there would be more ventilators uh, because you'd probably give more patients the option of having ventilation right, right now sometimes you manage with other ways the reason for that is ventilators like really high end quality ones mm-hmm. uh, are I, i would say difficult to build but they are difficult to build at scale you have your pressure support for giving oxygen or air you have pressure support for the exhalation function but then there's a fairly complicated control system now all of these pressure uh, within a hospital setup needs to come from a central sort of air supply right so you have an oxygen line your normal air line or you'll have specific cylinders now there might be some variation in their outputs so your system has to be built to safeguard against that uh, the patient condition may deteriorate over time so uh, the exchange at uh, at the cannula at the mask level there might be variations so your system should be intelligent enough to deal with those kind of differences so the control system is not too complicated but needs to be very very safe so a lot of testing has to happen to make sure it can work in all kinds of edge cases then you also need a lot of filters to make sure that there is not cross contamination of air those need to be changed with times so there needs to be alert mechanisms stuff like that so right. overall it's a complex system that needs to go through very very stringent regulatory uh, testing that is one now mm-hmm. building one or two or three prototypes uh, medical devices is not such a big task but the moment you say okay now i have a functional prototype but now i want to scale production to 1000 units that's where the big sort of knowledge gap is and that's why so few companies are good at making ventilators uh, also your standard high end ventilators in india cost anywhere from 12 to 15 lakhs so not all hospitals set up will purchase them in bulk so those are some right. other reasons why we don't have a lot of those mm-hmm. all right makes sense so so are these ventilators difficult to build and um, and so so if they are how is your product sas pro which i think does the job of a ventilator right how is it different from normal normal ventilators that we have in hospitals um so let me put it this way any novel medical device that you want to develop right so so for us we developed fetal light uh, it took us 3 and a half years from identifying sort of the clinical gap to building the first prototype that we could effectively place in a hospital for independent use and in that 3 and a half year cycle there was a lot of iterations there was regulatory testing we had to undergo ce certification we had to set up manufacturing so three and even beyond those 3 and a half years once we actually placed it in the market a lot of feedback came that there was usability problems nurses were not happy with some uh, sort of features so we had to modify them so till it became sort of stable and easy to use uh and ready to scale it took us four four and a half years after which uh it was fairly easy for us to start uh selling so i would say that any moderate difficulty medical device has a five year sort of gestation period right it just takes that amount of time because it's hardware uh there's a lot of regulation around safety protocols you have to identify materials that are safe for the body uh you have to do those uh sort of regulatory tests 
so i would categorize a ventilator as slightly above moderate complexity in terms of being able to design and build right so ideally let's say there is a company that has no experience whatsoever of ventilation devices or oxygen support devices and they wanted to start building a ventilator from scratch for them to build and deploy a very very stable safe to use product even with accelerated timelines and a lot of money would be a two and a half three year cycle at least right now oh yeah that's a long that's a long time yeah, yeah that's a long cycle the advantage we had uh, was that one of our products uh, it's so the predecessor to sas pro it's called sas we had built that as a cpap a constant pressure uh, system for neonates so for babies so we had a lot of experience in terms of designing portable battery powered uh, oxygen and air supply systems so we already had a lot of that know how we did not have to start from scratch so the moment we realized a bit more data started coming about how covid works and uh, where the gap is uh, and we obviously also talked to a lot of doctors uh, the feedback we got was that the clinical management idea here is to not let so many patients go onto the ventilator because going onto a ventilator has uh, several risk factors of their own right the patients who go on the ventilator basically you are taking away their lung function entirely so their lungs may not recover enough or they may develop other infections such as uh, ventilator acquired pneumonia which may end up killing them rather than covid so we would want to stop patients from going onto the ventilator altogether as much as possible so we wanted to play in that sort of uh, management area so our system basically we decided that okay we need to upgrade this which we have designed for the neonates lungs we want to change the pump and the output settings and the air flow settings and the oxygen level settings so that we can support the adult lung okay so we basically took our old design we made modifications in terms of getting better pump systems uh, changing the filters changing changing the outlet design uh, which took us a bit of time i would say 4 to 5 weeks before we got that functional prototype and we could deploy it in a hospital but we could only do it that fast because we had a lot of experience so now we are able to give a portable system which you can sort of which comes midway in the intervention so patients who have some respiratory distress can be put on the cpap that, that is our device and therefore we stop them from worsening which stops them from going on the ventilator uh i see so so when you say portable uh so i recall if i understand correctly you said ventilators uh, draw their air from a central supply so when you say your device is portable is your device driving air from like a portable supply we built it in the modular way so that you can obviously also always put uh, put in a hospital air supply oxygen supply line or you can have an air cylinder and oxygen cylinder of a smaller volume which you can sort of keep on a trolley so you have a portable trolley that you can take around or let's say in an ambulance you generally have a oxygen and air cylinder so you can put our unit there supplied so we have more sort of control on kinds of inputs you are able to take and our sort of ip and expertise is in giving a constant uh, positive output pressure so that's where our ip is so whatever variability happens in the input supply our ip makes certain that the output is always constant so that way the doctor is very very confident of the uh, outcome right 
so wh- what is the reason that the ventilators that are currently there in the hospital are not portable because nobody really thought of making portable ones so far oh i see okay i mean so so the whole market is designed for icu care and right. therefore you have this sort of design paradigm that okay my ventilator basically sits in the icu makes sense because these are designed for the western world right these are designed primarily for the us the uk uh, right. those kind of markets where you have very stringent guidelines on how hospitals are built right but you go to 10 hospitals in india every hospital has a different infrastructure different kind of icu supply yeah. line is somewhere like okay we, we are standardized to an extent but we are not as stringent so these were basically never designed for a use case where portability may be a concern right but for yeah. us when we designed sas we thought from a portability angle because we wanted to support transport from let's say a village to a tertiary care center so right. the dna of the system from get go was to be portable and therefore we could uh, use all of that expertise in making sas pro also port so from from identifying the material for the chassis right. identifying yeah. how do we make a cheap uh, but very sturdy uh, outer sort of casing how do we make sure that screwing unscrewing is easy for a service engineer to do on the field so a lot of those sort of design paradigms were meant for portable units yeah understood so your your ground up purpose itself was essentially to was built yeah. around portability entirely yeah and uh, that those are not the principles around which traditional ventilators are built because they the use case that these people are thinking about is just to sit in hospital exactly makes sense so so how did you test the performance of your product um as far as i understand clinical tests are difficult to go through right so how do you get your device certified for clinical use and how difficult or i mean rarely easy is the is the process hmm okay so again let me start with a standard scenario where you are developing something for the first time all together right then you Uh, depending on the disease profile depending on the patients that your product works on depending on whether your product is invasive non invasive so a lot of permutation combinations you sort of define your uh, verification and validation pathway right so what you do is you say ki okay my device uh, needs to meet at least these safety criteria before it goes on the patient and these criteria are sort of tied to internationally available standards so Uh, you have something called ISO 13485 that is for the uh, for all companies which want to uh, medical device companies that want to sell in the eu uh, iso 13485 is a design and development sort of standard then you have cemdr which is a european standard for the us you have us fda and 21 cfr so basically internationally for all kinds of products and devices there are fairly well written and stringent standards that you have to comply with so if you are able to comply with them uh and you are able to do a lot of benchtop testing then you have that as baseline data to be able to put it on a human right, right. so that right. process of complying building units doing bench testing is about a two year process uh, from get go and then you basically have to go to a hospital say that okay it's an experimental device but it's safe because it complies to xyz standards and now you want to put it on a patient and prove efficacy right mm-hmm. so a standard clinical pathway uh including the ethics committee approval plus the trial plus the analysis would often by itself be a one and a half year cycle so medical device development uh it's not 
so difficult is not the right word to describe a clinical proof or clinical evaluation it's just that you have to comply you have to be very very uh, stringent about putting all the data together and you need to get the uh, relevant permissions therefore you need to develop relationships with the hospitals you have to build the clinical protocol all of those things now again in this scenario we had a specific advantage that we had already built a saas product for units which was which is already commercially available right so we had gone through right. the cycle of the benchtop testing for that we had done the clinical evaluation we had about 150 patients worth of data neonatal patient data so in terms of concept and the rest of the safety uh, sort of compliances you already had a lot of that data now basically we had to look at the delta okay okay i'm modifying my device now for adults so i'm changing these three base components i'm changing these output settings and therefore for adults these are the new standards so we had to do a delta sort of benchtop testing first which took because you obviously again had a lot of this experience took 2 to 3 weeks and then once we had that data because you are in a pandemic situation and there is massive demand for any kind of oxygen support uh, device out there we are able to quickly get access to multiple hospitals where people were willing to do sort of uh, emergency use uh, trials so that way we got our device into some seven hospitals now where all doctors are been very impressed we have letters from from the private sector we have letters from the uh, uh, public sector that multiple patients have been put on this device their spo2 oxygen levels have increased over time and now they are recovering so that way a combination of us already having previous patient and benchtop data and then this emergency circumstance made the sort of clinical part of it sort of easier but obviously uh, we were very very uh, hesitant to put anything in the field before we had done significant benchtop testing mm-hmm. it sounds like a not a difficult but a long and sort of meticulous process yeah so the challenge here is that what you would ra- generally take you let's say 6 months you need to do right. in 4 to 5 weeks and the other challenge that we have been facing obviously has been with the supply chain right because everybody in the world is making ventilators now so previously there was relatively lesser demand for let's say a flow meter now right. there are 40 companies bidding for the same flow meter and the supply has not really jumped up that much so securing those making sure that they are clearing through customs and uh, dealing with the lockdown so we are also dealing a lot with the supply side issues so that's where the real challenge was for us right makes sense so do you think increasing the number of ventilators let's say suddenly we have i mean magically we have a lot more ventilators than we have right now do you think that is going to drastically and significantly affect the covid situation that we are dealing with i mean i understand it will definitely help because we will have many more you know uh, sort of critical care units uh, deployed but as you said right a ventilator does not necessarily save life it might be your lungs might become reliant on the ventilator and another major thing which might become is that ventilator associated pneumonia right so do you think if magically let's say i flood the market with ventilators uh, do you think the covid situation it helps the covid situation in any significant manner right now uh, the real the answer to that is we don't really have enough data to make a judgment 
mm-hmm. uh, at a logical level having more ventilators is definitely required right because a, a fair amount of patients are getting to a stage where ventilator is the only option for them to survive right uh, ventilators generally have a uh, in the covid scene i think 30 to 40% chance that you will recover otherwise not but even to be able to give that 30% chance you need to have a ventilator there right, right. If the patient is has gone uh, to the extent where ventilator is the only option yes we need to have a ventilator but to the extent possible we should avoid uh, putting a patient on a ventilator in any scenario even in a normal icu setting ventilator is always the last option right right makes sense yeah but that the, the point you made right that really it took me that we do not have enough data so so india right talking about india and covid uh do you think india as a country was prepared for such a large scale pandemic in general i mean forget about covid for example but let's say some any pandemic that comes into that starts affecting a large number of people do you do you think india is in general prepared for such things uh specifically in terms of medical infrastructure okay let me put it this way that also the context here is that i obviously work or our company works with a lot of doctors we interact a lot with icmr uh, we try to sell to icmr so we are so a bit more privy to sort of how the decision making is happening and what they are considering so my response is a bit more qualified than uh, just generally having an opinion so yeah right what is happening is no country is ever prepared you can't prepare for something that is exogenous right to the extent possible what are the four five things that a healthcare system needs one it needs enough sort of qualified physicians doctors nursing staff uh, which we don't have even in a normal scenario right so from that aspect we are not prepared for a pandemic uh, do we have enough infrastructure in terms of just pure facilities like number of beds uh, hospital four walls right like uh, is there enough place to place patients Yeah, right. at the at least at that level, we have sufficient public and private hospitals and number of beds to cope in an emergency situation, right? That at the very least we can offer a bed to patients. It's becoming difficult now, but you go to four hospitals somewhere or other, you will find a bed. So there are at least enough beds, and the government has done a lot over the last three months to increase that number of beds. They have set up, uh, for example, in Bangalore, in the Bangalore Exhibition Center, they have set up ten thousand beds. So in that sense, they have. created base infrastructure now in terms of equipment we did not have because uh, you can't prepare for every kind of uh, disease right there might have been another disease that probably affected just the leg right and then you did not have uh, uh, machines for that specific disease so that way uh, i don't know whether we could have ever designed or had policy to stock up in the ventilators i don't know whether that was feasible and then the fourth aspect of dealing with a contagious diseases sort of contact tracing and containment and stuff so i think in that aspect because india has uh, dealt with nipa it, it has dealt with tuberculosis and we had the polio vaccination program uh, at least in the public sector there is institutional sort of memory to do these kind of activities so contact tracing setting up containment zones so i think we have a fairly good handle on those kind of things so from my perspective it's sort of a bit unfair to require of the government to be prepared for every pandemic uh, right. i think we are better off than some 
and i think to a large extent they have done a laudable job in terms of managing with what resources they had so far now whether real challenges is what happens from here which is with the lockdowns with the time that you have bought are you procuring the right equipment are you putting it in the right uh, sort of facilities are you triaging right i think that is where again uh, only in 3 to 4 months will we have enough data to make a judgment but my current opinion is that i think somewhere there is now a lag in terms of having used this time to procure the right equipment and setting up the facilities properly i don't think that has happened as effectively right so if i was to ask you to let's say um rate the response that indian government gave to this pandemic um where would you put it in let's say one being very very bad almost not doing anything and five being crazy good right they've done everything right there was no step that they could have done better uh, so i think since you all went to bits we should do relative grading <laughs> right so <laughs> okay fine so i think i think i gave like a c to india but not very many people have uh, an a or a b so i think we are okay and so it's a bad situation right so which country so i think south, south korea is uh, their response was incredible right right yeah like they did concentrate okay. and they managed to contain it very very quickly right. uh, i think that was very impressive uh, we did a decent job on sort of the initial uh containment and initial contact tracing but then obviously given the size of the country and the multiple levels at which sort of healthcare infrastructure works right so india has within even within the public sector you have central government hospitals you will have district level hospitals you have the railways hospitals you have the army hospitals everyone's procurement works differently mps have different budgets so it's a very very fragmented procurement market as well so for them to be able to get all of that aligned and working also has been a big challenge so yeah, i i would put us at a c we we are in the worst of the lot but there's a lot of scope for improvement yeah that's like uh, lying around at the average yeah we are at the average mm-hmm. okay <laughs> yeah. all right so the last and i think the golden question from my end right because it has been troubling me a hell lot and i'm sure it's troubling a lot of people a hell lot is uh, that when or how when and how i would put it do you foresee the covid situation coming to an end i wouldn't even you know ask you to sort of give a global answer but just pertaining to india uh when and how do you see this covid thing coming to an end okay the only way for this to end completely is for there to be a vaccine right no two ways about it unless and until there is a vaccine it's not going to go away there's always going to be recurrence however much you bring down the curve there will be new pockets so that is going to keep on happening so i think vaccine is the key from my limited sort of recall of what i learned in college about viruses and vaccines and stuff it's going to be at the very least another 12 months if we do find a successful vaccine successful candidate it's going to be 12 months till it's globally available because you need to go through a stringent clinical process you need to make sure that it's not having side effects uh, then manufacturing and therefore distribution so it's going to be 12 months if we do find a successful candidate now if we don't it's going to be more it's going to be longer 
so i think a india specifically needs to uh, procure a lot more equipment set up better treating facilities set up better sort of referral infrastructure that is one aspect of it but also as a population i think we just need to understand that we have to live with this and therefore we need to change our behavior wear masks right make sure that we are following social distancing we we don't need to stop life altogether but until unless all of us develop a social consciousness that okay we need to do these things for everybody to be safe uh, it's it doesn't make sense to sort of start life again so i think everybody has to be very very uh, sort of responsible and do their part so that we can start normal life while we wait for the vaccine i don't so, think so that's the answer you wanted but <laughs> basically we have to live with this <laughs> so yeah so basically meaning that after we have a good candidate after that it takes 12 months so uh, i mean probably we are a few months we are yet few months away from a good candidate yeah i think uh, all the vaccines that are being talked about so one is vaccine and one is immunotherapy so for example biocan has a candidate that will uh, sort of reduce the body's response that's killing the lung cells so there are different different sort of trajectories on which multiple vaccine candidates are being tested so at least in 3 months i feel uh, at least a immuno sort of suppressant vaccine one might we might get a good candidate and then maybe in 3 months we may find either the oxford one or the serum institute uh, i think that's the same one anyway there's like multiple ones of which one may turn out to be a good one so in 3 months we'll know whether we have a candidate or not and if we do have one then 12 months post that right uh, yes because what what makes this question important for me at least is that of course i mean life has to come to a sort of cautious uh, stop yeah. uh, but for most of us being responsible is essentially translating into staying at home for very very long periods of time right very like extended periods of time yeah and i personally believe that there's a bigger giant that we are honing under our bellies which is a mental health issue so many people just staying at home for very long extended periods uh without you know too much interaction with other social whatever social interactions right maybe going out to you know a vacation or things like this or interacting with people in general i personally feel that we might be you know probably saving ourselves from covid but walking into a larger mental issue uh mental health problem yeah, I, in the near future i agree with it even at a personal level obviously it's been a bit distressing uh, and uh, i have actually had I, i would say i've been fortunate that i have been able to go to the office through lockdown because we work in healthcare we got emergency passes and you can't build hardware sitting at home so we had to go to office so compared to other people in my social circle i had a lot more interaction because i was going out i was meeting my colleagues at office but even then it's been uh, obviously having an effect so i i i, I can completely commiserate with other people who are facing issues but i think that's where your social circle family uh, you know those come into the picture these are the times where you really need to bond with them and get uh, that support yeah makes sense i mean i am not really you know uh, 
sort of missing my travel in bangalore <laughs> because i used to take a bus and it was probably already i was already living a hell of a life good for a few of us you know who are living with our people i would like to call it maybe friends or family yeah but really sad for people who are you know locked down at a place where they are staying alone anyway so this was this was i think an amazing talk uh, that was my last question uh, so vibhav thank you so much um, loved having you with us do you have something to say to our audience sure so uh, as i mentioned we have three devices uh, which are being directly deployed for covid so let me just recap one is a fetal monitor that can be used at home so we reduce uh, the number of interactions between the mom and an infected space the second is a product called rapcare which basically is used for people who are on the ventilator to remove secretions that pull up so that they don't get infections that can lead to death and the third is sars pro which is as we said a non invasive uh, cpap ventilation device uh, and we have a lot of hospitals who are treating covid patients but because of bad procurement policies or lack of funds or uncertainty or whatever they are not in a position to buy but the hospitals or the doctors there want the devices so we have set up a system where people can donate so if any one of you is interested in donating a unit or you know a hospital which may be interested please get in touch with us we can set up the donation for you to a hospital that needs it or we can donate a device uh, along with you to a hospital uh, that you may want to donate so please reach out please help us thank you that's great that's great okay thank you so much vibhav it was an amazing talk and to all the people out there i think it's necessary to uh, take care of your mental health and do your responsibility bit so that we don't you know make the situation worse than what it is right now yeah, yeah. like please be careful i have seen covid patients i've seen the covid ward it's not a pretty picture please avoid having to be somebody who ends up there so take care yeah comes from the man himself uh, thanks a lot with this we wrap our podcast on covid talk series with vibhav joshi thanks a lot vibhav 